1: Hey everyone and welcome back to Pixels. This is the show where I gather the news from the video games industry from the past month. I sift through it, I take, I keep what's good, I throw away what's bad and present the result to you with a a summary and analysis of what you should know from what's been happening. Uh, There are a few things that uh, we'll be discussing, things happening with Stadia, things uh, presented, with nintendo and blizzard and sony we had a number of presentations for the beginning of the year and uh, i'm looking forward to discussing all of this with you i'm patrick beja and this is pixels for february 2021 and i'm uh, gonna launch into it so at the beginning of the month we had a big uh, i don't know how big of a shock that is, but essentially Stadia announced that uh, they were closing down their internal development studios. And that's a pretty big deal because Google had made it clear that they wanted to become a serious player in the video games industry. And traditionally, being a serious player in the video games industry means you have exclusives for your platform. Well, first of all, you have a platform. And uh, second of all, you have exclusives for that platform. And it's kind of difficult to imagine that any platform would survive without uh, significant exclusives. And Stadia has many challenges to get those exclusives. It has strengths, of course, but the, one of the challenges is that no one is making games specifically for the platform. There are a number of reasons for that. The main one, I think, is that, well, let's not beat about around the bush. They have bungled their release. The, the, the service was uh, made public or was released to the public over a year ago, almost a year and a half ago. And it was disappointing. Um, the issue is it doesn't have a clear, an advantage on the market. I think that's the best way to put it. It doesn't have a feature that is a clear advantage for people who want to play video games. Now, whenever I talk about Stadia, people come out and tell me, hey, I love it, I use it all the time, and the clear advantage that you're missing, you silly Patrick, is that I can play, buy and play, you know, the latest video games, and I don't have to have a powerful computer or a console to play them i just buy the game stream the game from google servers i didn't mention it but of course stadia is a game streaming service Um, and that's it i play in my browser or on my iphone because it's available through a web app now or on my android device and it works great and that is absolutely true However, I think the number of people who need that uh, in order to play those games is really limited. I'm not saying you don't exist, but I think it's not an important enough part of the market to be significant for Google and for Stadia itself. Um, And the reason for that, I think, is kind of a vicious circle with which uh, Stadia failed to recognize. Uh, I often say that tech people and journalists don't really understand the gaming industry. They think they do, because the two industries are pretty close to one another, but they actually don't. And Google failed to understand that in order to have a successful service, again, you need exclusives. And I'm coming to the, the main issue that we have here, that the platform is different from everything else around. It's not, you know, obviously it's not a PlayStation, it's not a uh, a Xbox, and it's not even a PC. Well, it kind of is probably architecturally similar to a PC, but it doesn't run Windows games. So whatever the platform that developers have considered initially, they then have to add it uh, to add Stadia as a port in order, a significant port. It's not, probably not, you know, as significant as bringing a PC game to a Nintendo Switch, for example, but it's still a port that they have to do. And it takes time and effort and money and uh, and, and development. And if you want to do that, it means you have a payoff at the end, right? You're not going to do it just to please Stadia unless they're giving you money, which apparently they're not doing enough. And uh, there are a few games that are coming to Stadia, but most developers look at this and think, "Well, there aren't enough players using stadia. And of course, people could do it. There's no barrier to entry, but they don't because they have no incentive to. And the prospect of having of buying a full price game um, and only having it available on a streaming service is daunting. You don't want to do it if you don't you know if you have other options, and most people have other options. So there aren't enough players, which doesn't motivate developers to bring the games to the platform because the platform is very difficult to bring games to, or at least difficult enough that it's not worth it. Unlike Luna, which is Amazon's alternative, which is growing, uh, expanding the beta, um, which runs Windows games with very little adaptation needed. I'm sure they have you know they're paying a license to Microsoft to to be running a Windows like environment um but that doesn't really matter for players and and developers and to top it all off Google is persisting in the model of we sell games individually we don't have a subscription which makes sense because they don't have enough games to make a subscription. Of course, they give away games with the Pro subscription all the time, but that is a model that is similar to PlayStation Plus or Xbox Live Gold, where you get a couple of games every month, not a Netflix-like catalog like the ones Game Pass, Microsoft is offering with Game Pass, or Amazon is now offering with Luna. Again, still in beta. This is a streaming service. So... I say all this, and you might think, all right, well, Patrick thinks Stadia is toast. Goodbye. Google is going to fold everything in. Not quite. Uh, my initial assessment from all of these services was that there are a lot of potential uses for game streaming, not replacing every avenue for gaming from one day to the next, but slowly inserting itself into the life of every gamer for certain uses. A demo you don't want to install and download, a game you have a subscription for um, on you know, Game Pass or whatever similar something that you want to try out. And similarly, similarly, on the developer side, there might be many advantages to having a streaming service available to you as a developer to bring your game to other uh, potential clients that wouldn't have access to your games otherwise because they don't have a beefy PC or a console or whatever. And the, the, the thing is, on the, the, the mm, technical side of it, very few companies have the infrastructure to provide that service of game streaming. Basically, it's Microsoft... Google, Amazon, and potentially uh, Facebook, which has indicated they're entering the fray as well, even though it might be very, uh, you know, reserved for their own specific services. Um, And Stadia, I think, has a future as a white label streaming service offered to other developers and that's something i've been talking about i had a, an article on medium a while ago uh, detailing why i think that might happen and i think that's the way they're going to go and actually they kind of indicated that that's the way they would go working with partners and if they do um and if some partners decide to to use the service as a white label to for their own um for their own use as a developer or a publisher as by the way Uh, Ubisoft has already done and I suspect EA is working towards, maybe they've even announced they're uh, looking at it and many others. You know that there are those are the big uh, publishers, the big developers, but there are many mid-tier developers in Japan and other places that would benefit from something like this. And if they do and Stadia manages to become attractive to them, then the games would be ported on the Stadia platform, which in turn could be a great way of having uh, more games on the stadia platform itself so i think the strategy is more long term and they decided they didn't need their own games because they are going to have a lot of third-party games and they're going to be like be the one that has everything or that has all of them or not all of them that that has many of them and they will have enough to keep offering Stadia as it is um, for, you know, as a side thing, as a consequence of what they're doing with the uh, third party developers. And that's, that's a pretty interesting uh, perspective, I think. And down the line, I suspect if they get enough games, they will have a subscription service. I know that, you know, they're saying, oh, you don't need a subscription service. You don't need that. You just buy the games. You don't need the hardware. And usually people who like Stadia are like, oh, but I don't need a subscription service. I just need the, the reason they're not doing a subscription service is that they don't have enough games to make it worthwhile. That's the only reason, honestly, in my opinion, but we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. Um, To close off the book on Sadia, well, on that (laughs) recounting on Sadia's woes, um, I do want to mention Jade Raymond has left the company, which sucks for her because she has been, after having left Ubisoft about 10 years ago, she went to EA, started a huge thing, and that got folded and now she came to Stadia probably the people at Google promised her the world and she's leaving again she's quite bitter understandably and I think the other thing in the you know executives of the gaming world that is notable is uh Phil uh oh um, ah, what am I saying I'm forget. is it Phil Harrison I'm thinking about I guess it is um yeah Phil Harrison who's the president the vice president of uh Stadia and that person is, like, everything he touches seems to not work. I don't know if it's his fault. I'm guessing it's not. I don't know. But Xbox 360 was under the leadership of Phil Harrison. The PlayStation 3 was... Oh, oh I'm sorry. Not the Xbox 360. That, that went great. But the PlayStation 3 was Phil Harrison. Then Xbox One was Phil Harrison. And now Stadia is Phil, Phil Harrison. What the hell? Like, what is he making the wrong decisions? Is it completely outside of his control and he's just a manager who's at the wrong place at the wrong time? I don't know, but God, that's like, he's, uh, yeah, he's probably the one under whose supervision most the most uh, big projects have tanked. Well, Stadia hasn't tanked yet. Maybe that's a little bit premature to say that, but still. All right. Anyway, that was uh, Stadia. A lot of stuff there. Uh, We could mention Amazon in the, uh, you know, in the big story of tech people not understanding games. Uh, Amazon has canceled Crucible, one of their games that, you know, like the second or third game that they put out and that didn't work at all because of... Many, many reasons I'm not going to go into. It could be an interesting discussion one day. But uh, they're holding, they're being steadfast with their MMO New World. I'm I'm not sure how that's going to go. Um, it seems that developing games is not the tech giant's forte. Anyway, uh, Nintendo. Nintendo has uh, put out a Nintendo Direct after... 530 days. They had a few minis, but not a proper direct. And I don't know if it was the expectations that were too high, possibly, but I think most people were disappointed. I was. I don't want to say I, it was horrible, but there wasn't anything like big that could rally everyone under the banner of Nintendo saying, yes, we all want this, this really looks awesome, or anything like that. Um, And the things that we were hoping for, things like... Disappointment is going to be a theme, I think, over the the rest of this episode at various levels. But um, I think we were... You know, we could have expected something about Breath of the Wild 2, or Metroid Prime 4, or an 3 even which is not as big a game as the other two and none of that um there were you know little things that were pleasing to the communities of certain games and again i think that's a theme here but nothing really big uh new characters for smash uh mario golf Super Rush. It looks fun enough. You know, there's a multiplayer golf mode where everyone's on the uh, turf, the green at the same time on, you know, the whole golf course at the same time. It seems fun, but it's a Mario Golf game. I don't think that's going to be like incredible. It's not going to change the world. There were a couple of interesting smaller games. Uh, I mean, Outer Wilds is coming to uh, the Switch, which is incredible like outer wilds is a fantastic probably one of the best games i've ever played um there's neon white which is a weird first person shooter thing in paradise where you have to kill demons it looked it looked stylized i guess um Project Triangle Strategy from Square Enix in that 2DHD style that uh, was pioneered by Octopath Traveler. Which, again, looks cool. There's a demo out. It's a tactics game, so if that's your thing, you're going to be happy. But again, it doesn't really reach most people, or not everyone. Um, there's some DLC for uh, Age of Calamity for Hyrule Warriors 2. That's cool. Again, for the people who like that, Apex Legends is coming in a couple of weeks now, uh, March 9, to the console. So that's cool. And the other two big things, and I'm putting quotes around big here, are Zelda Skyward Sword HD, which is a remaster of Skyward Sword. We could even say rework because that game came out on Wii and was only working with uh, motion controls. So they had to do some things to make it work with um, regular controllers. But it was like, I don't think anyone thinks Skyward Sword is the Zelda game they were hoping for, especially when it's the thirty first, 35th anniversary of Zelda and uh, we could have guessed or hoped that there was at least a, compl- a, a, a collection of, you know, three Zelda games from the classics that in the same way that uh, there was a collection for Mario it, it's it is disappointing. And it it's funny in the presentation they even they were like, "Oh, but look, there were so many things that we find now in Breath of the Wild. It was the, the precursor." It's like, "Okay, I guess some elements that you you can no, it's not. Like, no one is going to look at this and think, oh, I love it because it makes me see where Breath of the Wild came from. There are a couple of elements, but not really. Um, so it's coming in July 16. I don't think it's going to set the world on fire. And Splatoon 3 was teased, which could have been cool, but we really didn't see anything about it. It was a surprise. I'll give it that. Um, it was a surprise, but coming 2022, and we didn't see anything about the game. We saw a few seconds of completely traditional gameplay and an intro cinematic that could indicate there's a more beefy uh, single-player uh, element to the game, but we can't say for sure it was completely cinematic, no actual gameplay. So, uh, it was. Mm, that's roughly how... <coughs> Sorry, how I feel about that presentation. And I think most people, I I made a poll about the presentation. I think it's like 80% of the people were disappointed. So it wasn't great, but there will be great things to come, I'm sure. And I think that statement might apply to BlizzConline as well. (laughs) It wasn't great, but there are great things to ha- to come one might hope. Um I I also made a poll about Blizz online and it was certainly disappointment. Uh less so than with uh Blizz uh, than with the Nintendo Direct. I think it was like 65% of the people were disappointed because again, um I guess Blizzard did manage our expectations a little bit better. They did say that uh we won't see Uh, release date for Diablo 4 or Overwatch 2 this year. That was really surprising, honestly. Uh, Diablo 4, we knew. Overwatch 2, I think everyone expected it to come out this year. Well, it won't. Um, And it will be, what, six years since Blizzard has put out a major new game. That's a long time. (laughs) It is a really long time. And if that's, if it comes out in 2022, I guess it has to at this point. I don't think Diablo 4 is coming out 2022, but Overwatch 2 has to, I think. Um, But so that means that even with that, honestly, the opening ceremony had really nothing new to show. Uh, Overwatch 2 wasn't even part of the opening ceremony. And... uh, Before I get into all of this, I do want to mention, it's weird to have a BlizzCon which doesn't include the community aspect of it. Because for me, you know, I've worked at Blizzard, I've been part of the community for much longer than even that, and it's always a chance to meet people and have fun together. And we couldn't do that, of course, you know, because of obvious reasons, but having the BlizzCon without that was a bit weird given that, I think they did an okay job Uh, production wise. It was very high quality. I think it was great. Um, And they also managed to have some panels that were fun with the developers talking together on zoom calls and and stuff like that. And presentations for the things they had to, to show Um, that was cool. But um, yeah, so it was weird, a weird, obviously a weird BlizzCon. If it had been an actual BlizzCon though, I think people would have burned stuff because there was so little to announce. So Getting back to the announcements, uh, we have classic games coming to old platforms, uh, the Blizzard Arcade, which has Rock and Roll Racing, Lost Vikings, and Blackthorn. That's fine. Um, and it's offered for people who buy the 30 anniversary, 30th anniversary celebration of Blizzard, which is a package of many different things. So that's kind of cool. But aside from that, we had things that, again, like the Nintendo Direct, things that spoke to individual communities of specific games and not really things that would hype everyone about uh, you know, the announcement, which I think it was exciting for the communities a little bit more than the Nintendo Direct, and that's cool, but it was still uh, uh, very targeted announcements. So we had stuff for Shadowlands, which... Were kind of mind-bending uh, story-wise for a patch for Shadowlands, you know, uh, uh, the next patch with the next uh, story beats and raid and etc. Well, it's a patch for WoW, you know what it is. World of Warcraft Classic now will have a Burning Crusade Classic version, and we kind of all saw it coming because WoW Classic has been so successful, but. The really interesting thing to note is that they're not moving WoW Classic forward, they're offering Burning Crusade Classic as a separate experience. So we're now going to have three different versions of World of Warcraft running concurrently, WoW Classic, Burning Crusade Classic, and the retail version, the the normal version. And it might be that in a few years we get Lich King classic. I think we're touching the edges of what people are actually nostalgic about now. I could see maybe a Lich King classic appear, but I think that would be the last one. But yeah, who knows? We'll see. Maybe people will be nostalgic for uh, Mists of Pentaria at some point. I think if that's the case, though, you can go in those zones um, now and experience that. It's not quite the same with WoW Classic and and Burning Crusade Classic. Um, So yeah, that's going to happen. We had a pretty cool announcement for Hearthstone. Um, We have a new mode, which is kind of a Slay the Spire type mode. It's a roguelite essentially into inside Hearthstone, which is pretty cool. And it's very much uh, geared towards players who are tired of the... or who aren't interested in the standard player versus player mode. And there's also something they announced before, but it's a rework of the new player and returning player experience, which is pretty exciting, I have to be honest. Um, It's a a full reimagining of uh, the deck structure of the early entry into the game. And uh, it's, it's probably... Something that is, I think it was Brian Kibler who was uh, advocating for it for a while. And what he was saying is, you, you were still having the base of the game be the things that they initially developed, uh, what, eight years ago now, or longer if you count the development, the actual development. Um, and that's the time they knew the least about the game. So it's really great. That they're doing that for um, for the, the the base of the game now, when they actually understand the mechanics and their game uh, so much better. So that's pretty cool. And the new expansion is what is it? The Barons? Something like Born in the Barons? Uh, something like that? <laughs> Tides of the Barons? Wrath of the Barons? Um, it's it's you know standard expansion, but the new mode seems pretty cool. Diablo had a couple of announcements. The Rogue, which is the new revealed class for Diablo 4, and it looks really cool. There there was a very edgy, goth <laughs> uh, cinematic with sever, sever, severed ears, which was gross as intended, Um and But the gameplay uh, snippets we saw of the Rogue were really cool. I really thought the, the uh, gameplay looked super dynamic, super fun, and I can't wait to put my hands on it, which won't happen for a very long time. Um, the other thing, of course, is Diablo 2 Resurrected, which I was never a Diablo 2 player. Um, I loved Diablo 3, spent hundreds and hundreds of hours in Diablo 3, and I don't think I'll be playing Diablo 2 Resurrected. I'll probably buy it because I'm a sucker. But um, I don't think I'm going to play it too much. The the nice thing about it, there are a couple of things. First of all, of course, it's a uh, remaster. Uh, and I guess even a, it's not a remake, but it's certainly a remaster because it is upresed and uh, it's it's getting the treatment that uh, StarCraft 1 got with its remaster. Hopefully they'll go that route with quality and not Warcraft three route. But, um, that because Warcraft three reforged was famously, uh, not a success and they're still not there, which is disappointing, but hopefully Diablo three, which they, they have a lot of reverence for is going to get the full proper treatment in its, uh, remake or remaster. And it's going to be available on consoles as well, which is going to be interesting. Um, And that will be an opportunity for many people to replay it. It will be available as the original version and the the, uh, remastered version. And you can switch from one to the other, of course. But um, they seem to have put a lot of love into it. It's very faithful to what it was. And it will bring it to new audiences who can discover what is truly, truly a classic of uh, video games. It's one of the most influential games there have been. So. Yeah, we'll be able to uh, to play it uh, this year, I believe. I don't think they gave a release date, but uh, it will be. It should be a precise release date, but uh, it will be this year. I'm trying to check to see if we have a date. I don't think so. Um, later this year, indeed. And then we have the things that weren't into the in the um, the conference the main conference the opening ceremony and that's mainly overwatch 2 to be honest and we didn't get a lot for overwatch 2 i think the takeaway i have and i'm a huge overwatch fan again i spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours in overwatch and obviously the current game is uh in the middle of a huge drought of content and has been for a year and a half um and that isn't about to stop anytime soon, but I think the reason they're not releasing Overwatch too soon is that the fact that they have re-evaluated the amount of work the game needs. I was very enthusiastic about what I saw at BlizzCon 2019 uh, when I played the game there, but I was a little bit hesitant about the replayability value of the game. And my comments were always, for a game like this, you need huge replayability incentive in the form usually of gear or abilities or stuff like that. And there didn't seem to be any of that. And the the, the levels seemed like they were kind of... Versions of uh, the PvP levels that you see in the event, PvE events in Overwatch 1, which again, I wasn't sure would uh, make, would be enough to motivate people for a full real PvE game. And I think they've realized that they need a lot more work to make that a full-fledged game. And they've gone in that direction. They've addressed a lot of the PvP changes they're making and a lot of the PvE changes they're making. And I'm go- not going to go into all of the details, but essentially they are making a much more ambitious game, I think, they, than they initially thought. Um, they Maybe they thought, okay, we're going to make a quick mode pde and sell it as overwatch 2 and they ended up thinking what we need is an evolution of the classic left for dead type of games uh in a way that hasn't been evolved until now um and uh, pardon the pun the people who know will understand uh but that means it needs a lot more work. It, kind of in the way that uh, Overwatch itself is an evolution of Team Fortress, but it, it changes the thing a lot. And I think we might see a similar evolution there. Um, the one thing I will say though, there is a very extensive PVE talent tree, which looks like a classic WoW talent tree for every character, which changes gameplay significantly and in very fun ways. And I think that is much, much, much more motivating than what we saw at uh, BlizzCon uh, in 2019, where we only had three choices of two options for talents. And I don't know if they initially planned to only have a a limited thing like this, but now it seems like it's full character customization and it's really exciting. So I'm looking forward to seeing all of this. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I'm in this weird position where... I obviously want them to put out more games, and I don't want them to put out unfinished games. So I want them to wait in, until it's done. And you know, given the increased uh, corporate overlord, overlordship of Activision over Blizzard, one would be uh, uh, underst- it would be understandable if one was worried about them putting out games uh, too quickly, even though. Well, anyway, (laughs) I'm not going to go into Activision versus Blizzard. But uh, so there's this weird thing where I want more games, but also I want them to not put out games if they're not done. But also it's been six years. um, So obviously the conclusion I think has to be, well, keep working on them. Uh, Even though it's been five or six years, you have to not put them out. But it's still frustrating. And I also commend them for not putting out uh games when they're not ready even though the pressure exists of course they're still making money and many of their games are uh service games so they're still bringing in money um but still i think it's it's kind of unheard of outside of probably rockstar maybe a couple of other companies i don't even count valve because they're swimming in cash by through steam um Maybe there's a comparison there. But, you know, it's kind of very surprising that a company would accept, like, as management to not put out a game for six years. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens in 2022, I guess. (laughs) Hopefully. Uh, Maybe it's going to be farther away than that. And um, the last big thing I wanted to talk about is, of course, the... Um, PlayStation uh, State of Play that happened uh, yesterday, just a few hours ago. And again, a little bit of a disappointment because we had certainly more than we did for other, uh, the, the previous uh, presentations that I talked about. Um, and there weren't as high hopes. I think we were hoping to see probably things for um, Horizon Forbidden West. I think that was something we were certainly hoping to see now-ish. It seems this wasn't to be, and we were kind of hoping against hope that we would get some God of War Ragnarok stuff, and that obviously didn't happen. Starting to wonder if uh, God of War Ragnarok, which was slated for 2021, isn't going to be pushed to 2022. Um, and uh, Horizon Forbidden West could be their big uh, release game for this year towards the holiday season. The thing is, they put out games uh, to sell consoles, right? They put out exclusive games to sell consoles. They're selling the consoles they can make anyway. Like, there's no reason (laughs) to um, put out more games if it's not going to help sell you consoles just keep them keep working on them keep them in your backpack and you can wait and put them out when you have more consoles to sell than you're actually selling so i think it's very likely they still need a big game for the end of the year but i think we're gonna see uh, a god of war delay in the next few months we'll see we'll see what happens um so the state of play itself still had a couple of cool things um the the i I kind of group them in different stuff uh the cool stuff the yeah maybe stuff but it might not be for me and the okay we've seen this before now give us more info Uh, part and then there's one big surprise at the end that I'm gonna go into but the cool stuff I think is we finally have a date for Kenna Bridge of Spirits um which is coming out August 24 and beyond that so that game is a Pixar looking uh adventure magical game which makes me think of uh, uh Ori and the Blind Forest or Will of the Wisps in its uh, aesthetic, but it's a 3D third-person action game. And it's so beautiful. It's coming out on PS4 too, by the way. Uh, I wonder how it's going to look, but uh, it's coming out on PS4 and on PC, coming out August 24. And the big takeaway for that game is that we've seen some gameplay, some actual gameplay, and it looks like an actual action game. Um, Again, the comparison to Ori might be uh stronger even oops sorry stronger even than before but it seems like an actual competent action game so we'll have to wait and see more to know more um the uh, Returnal, we've seen a little bit more, and that's coming out in April. I'm very excited for that game. Uh, Housemark is really good at action games, and I'm very excited to see a 3D action roguelite from them. And there seems to be some significant elements of story in as well, which might be more complex or interesting than I had initially anticipated. So uh, Returnal, I'm certainly excited for. And then there's a new game that we hadn't seen before called Sifu by uh, the Absolver team. And that's coming also to PS4, PS5, and PC. And it looks really cool. It's like a combat action game, but it's so Kung Fu. It's like Kung Fu uh, in the way that you see like in old Chinese movies with short dynamic hits that, feel extremely good if you're a fan of martial arts. I'm very curious to see how the game actually works and how the mechanics of combat actually works. But looks-wise, it is very enthusiastic king. <laughs> it, it was exciting, certainly. So that's a, a game I encourage you to, to look up uh, if you like fighting games or combat action. And then there's a couple of uh, baby games. The uh, Solar Ash by... Um, uh, the the developer of uh, Hyper Life Drifter, uh, Machine Heart, I think, is their name. Looks like a, a strange traversal action game that makes me think a little bit of um, oh, what's that game, Huntress? Huntress, the ah, I forget the, the the name of the game. It came out. It was a headliner for Apple Arcade. Ah, people are yelling at their phones now. So you see which one I mean. Um, and it has also aesthetics that make me think of Haven a little bit. But um, yeah, it's it it seems cool. I'm curious to know more. Knockout City, which was actually introduced in the Nintendo Direct, which is a dodgeball, competitive dodgeball game, was kind of whatever in the nintendo direct but they showed a lot more of the game and the actual gameplay um in in the state of play and i'm curious to see more i don't think it's going to be anything incredible but i'm curious to see more it's coming out uh later in the year in may or june and there's a beta coming in april and then there's uh the the new five nights at freddy's game which is a horror game called security breach i mean five nights at freddy's is a well-known uh franchise for horror and it's not my thing it looks cool it's not my thing then there are the two okay games which is death loop the deja vu trailer which is a james bond-esque uh super stylish trailer which i'm really excited about the game but i still don't know what it is and they keep showing trailers and trailers that still don't under- explain to us what the the gimmick mechanics or not gimmick but the specific main mechanics of this game is the loop and the combat between the two characters it's clear that you try to go through the game world and assassinate a number of specific targets but how does the loop play into it how do you replay the things like they they still keep showing us nothing about this game so i'm getting a little bit frustrated with it but we'll see and then there's the new odd world odd world soulstorm which They keep saying in every trailer that it's such a new way of approaching Oddworld. And I keep seeing exactly the same platforming game that I've seen for 25 years. Um, So maybe it's very exciting to people who are excited about the Oddworld franchise, but I guess I'm I'm not one of them. So I apologize if I'm, you know, raining on your parade. It's not my intention, but seems to me like... Yeah, this is just another Odd World game. Coming out April 6th, so we won't have too much longer to wait to play it if we want to. And the last thing was a big reveal, a big show of a new version, well, an update, PS5 updated version of Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, which is getting a free update to give it you know what every PlayStation 5 version has gotten which is 60 fps 4K uh a option between uh constant 60 fps and graphics uh priority with lighting and fog and stuff like that honestly nothing to write home about or i guess you know i i haven't um actually finished final fantasy 7 maybe i'll have time in another dimension to uh to to play it a little bit more. But so that's the main games update. But there's also a DLC, and that wasn't clear. It was just a small mention at the end of uh the presentation in small text. There's a DLC, which is a kind of a new part of the game called intergrade, which is like an interlude between this and version uh, and the second part of Final Fantasy VII Remake Um, and Intergrade features Yuffie, which is a character from a later part of Final Fantasy VII, the original one and um, that will be for pay. I'm guessing 10, 15 bucks, something like that and uh, that's an additional adventure that you can play within the world of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, That's pretty cool. It's uh, actual new content for the game, so that's very nice, but uh, it is not freely free and included in the game. You have to pay for it. It's coming, by the way, June 10, as is the uh, full PS5 version of the game. And it looks cool. It looks nice enough. Maybe it will push me. Maybe by then, on June 10, it will be... Did I say August? It's June 10. Maybe I'll be uh, out of the crisis of a newborn life. Uh, my My second child is coming in uh, april so april may june it will be two months maybe i'll have a little bit of my life back by then and we'll see if i can play more <laughs> of final fantasy 7 and uh talking about final fantasy 7 there are two mobile games coming as well one is a, a kind of um comp- uh, compilation uh, of the entire Final Fantasy storyline, because there are a couple of other things than the main Final Fantasy VII, VII storyline. It's called Ever Crisis um, because there were episodes like Before Crisis and a bunch of other things. This summarizes everything um, and it's going to be sold probably in chapters on mobile. And it seems like it's a, um, the Final Fantasy 7 remake style for Final Fantasy VII, the regular uh, game. So it's an updated version of Final Fantasy VII for mobile, essentially. And it's going to gather all of the stories, which is, you know, it's pretty cool. And the other one on mobile, that wasn't, by the way, of course, announced during the uh, state of play. It was announced by Square Enix later. Um, But the other one is a battle royale a kind of prequel to Final Fantasy VII, and it's a battle royale. It's so weird to see Final Fantasy VII as a battle royale with some Final Fantasy elements, of course, but also some straight-up shooting and sniping and stuff (laughs) like that. It's weird. Um, But it could be cool, I guess, uh, if you want a battle royale in anime style on mobile. Not anime, but, you know, Japanese game style. So, yeah, that's a a lot of stuff. Again, not one big overarching... uh, Thing, but I think some, uh, a few little cool things, just like the other ones. Uh, it leaves a lot of uh, stuff to be announced for the rest of the spring and maybe even, uh, E3, maybe a lot of companies are looking to E3 to make their big announcements. We'll see. Maybe that will be a successful version of an of an online E3, unlike last year's non E3 that was kind of drawn out. Um, I think the big question out of Sony though is when is uh the, the, what I was mentioning before? When is Forbidden West coming? So we'll see because that that changes when God of War is coming, and that's kind of Uh, I don't know. We'll see. All right. I guess that is it for the big news in the gaming industry for uh, the month of February. I hope you had fun spending uh, that time with me. I certainly had fun spending that time with you. And I send all of my warm thoughts to all of you. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm not Patrick on all of those. Uh, I hope you're doing well. I think of all of you in these difficult times, and I will talk to you again in a few weeks. Bye.